You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. I have trouble with glasses every once in a while. I've gotten to the point where, where from a reading standpoint, I use these. But for distance, I use the others. But I'm going to use the reading because obviously we're going to be reading out of God's Word. Uh, the story is told of the Rothschilds, the famous family of, of uh, financiers of the world, which illustrate the strict obedience which they expected of all their employees. There once was an agent in New, York, New Orleans, a young fellow, who kept his eyes and ears open. He would be what you say an Ivy Leaguer today, or had an MBA. They, wa- they wired him to sell the cotton holdings on a specific day, Believing that he had better information on the local market than the employer, he held the sale over a four-day period and netted an extra profit of $40,000. He very proudly notified the Rothschilds of his achievement and forwarded the bonus. The company returned the amount intact with a cold note that read, the $40,000 was made by disobeying my instructions, our instructions, and it is yours. Take it, your successor Mails, uh, sales from New Orleans today. And you ask yourself the question, well, didn't he do better than he was supposed to? And the real question is, he disobeyed what somebody said. Um, I, I've always asked that question um, a lot because, you know, we, we justify the means, not necessarily the ends. The instructions were, sell the cotton. But he decided that he knew more than what they did and guess who's paying whose salary? And so he holds it over four days. You say, well, but he made money. That should, that should have been great. The problem was he disobeyed what was told him. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that this morning in terms of disobedience. Um, a certain man talks about his childhood experience on a farm. Some of us can relate to this. Many of us here this morning have put ourselves in the same shoes as this man. It seems that one day his father instructed the boy concerning work that made it be done. The young boy was not interested in doing that. How many times did we do that? I remember when dad said, you've got to do this. I don't want to do that. I want to do this. And so what happens is the father left for town. He noticed that the barn, and the boy noticed that the barn needed painting. So he knew where there was a brush, red paint, and a new brush, and so he busied himself painting the door. He did a good job, but when his father came home from town, well, I need not tell you the rest of the story, other than to say the boy was made very unhappy. The hand of learning was applied to the seed of understanding. So, sure, we try to help his father. He worked hard, but he again failed to follow the instructions were given him. And that, in this, these two stories, I think, talk to us a little bit about what the fact is that what partial obedience is and full obedience. And we really like to justify doing things because it's right, and it could be exactly opposite what God wants us to do and exactly opposite that what instructions were for. And when you work for somebody, there's a boss. And what the boss says, I always said what the boss says is right. Sometimes I thought they were wrong. But he was right. So we're going to talk a little bit about that because we have a great story in First Samuel that we want to talk about this morning. The real issue on that was there was partial obedience but not full obedience. And God asked us many times to follow him 
obediently, not when it's convenient or not on our terms, but on his terms. So we're going to look at uh, a little bit this morning about uh, uh, what it means for following God. God demands obedience from every believer. That's really what a key, key point that I want to mention to you this morning. Um, I'm going to turn to uh, chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. Um, there are some real principles that I think we can learn from this story, and it's a little long. We're going to read some of it, and then some of it we're going to kind of basically put together at that particular point. So uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord host, I'm going to punish Amalek for what he did to Israel and how he himself against, put himself against the way when he was coming up out of Egypt. And to stop there a little bit, is that when the people were leaving Egypt to go to the promised land, our old friend Amalek and his crew really had a battle, and to some degree they wiped a lot of the Israelites out. God never, never forgets. Now go and strike Amalek, and here's the key deal. And utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him. Put him to death, both man and woman, child, infant, oxen, sheep, camel, and donkey. Is there anything left? Not really. And you look at that and you say, that, that's not fair. And you know, as I read God's word, sometimes it isn't fair except, except what it tells us to do. That's what we ought to consider doing. And so this is the mission that Mr. Samuel had to do to go and talk to the king. Notice what he said. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him but put him to death and the women, child, infant, ox, and sheep, camel, and, and donkey. That's the instructions that Saul was to do at this particular point as the king. So King Saul summons the people and they number about 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Pretty good sized army, 220,000 people. And Paul, Saul said to the Kenites, and the, and, and the Kenites were people that, that had been helpful to the nation of Israel when they came up out of Egypt and they really were, kind, they were neutral, but they helped them. They didn't hurt him. So basically Saul says, you all just need to get out of the way because you know, if you're in the way, you're going to get slaughtered. But if you get out of the way, we're going to leave you alone. And they did that. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, as you see, to Slur, which is east of Egypt. And here's what he did. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So what we do is he gets rid of everybody else except the king. And sometimes we end up deciding who we are going to spare and who we're not going to spare. And in this particular guy, you know, you go back to the other verse, it says, I don't destroy everybody. But notice what Saul does. So Saul defeated the, uh, defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as you could go to Slur, which is east of And he captured King Agag of the Amalekites alive and then here's what he did. He utterly destroyed all the people of the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and then what? The best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. I think sometimes the, we, we have a tendency to do the same thing ourselves. 
we either justify or decide that there's certain things that we have to get rid of and we understand that and that's not a problem. But, you know, Lord, over here is really not that bad. I want to keep that. And I think sometimes we have to ask him. This story has always kind of struck me because over the years as I've looked at the thing, when God says utterly destroy everything, he didn't say save whatever you want. And that's the way we interpret those sometimes. Is I'm going, to, I'm going to take care of everything, but there's one or two things that I need to hold back on. And that's uh, which we're going to see is going to get him in trouble. Um, and he captured Agag. I uh, read that. Okay, verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of, and notice what is this, not, 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 not just ordinary stuff, the best of the ox, sheep, oxen, fatlings, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised, worthless, they were utterly destroyed. So if it's no good, we get rid of it. If it's got some value, eh, going to hold on to it. We do that ourselves. We do that sometimes when God asks us to kind of clean up some things and we decide that we're going to clean them up. But, you know, there's a few things there, Lord, you need to understand uh, they're, they're not that bad. I'm going to hang on to them. So that can speak to me, it speaks, should speak to you as well as when, you know, when we're living our daily life. And so I think I can make the statement by saying partial obedience to man is total disobedience to God. The problem is, God said do this, and the people did sort of that, but not all of it. And we're going to see that in just a, in a few minutes as we read the rest of the story. They, they, they saved the king, and, and what was the verse I read? Utterly destroy everybody. So strike one, you save the king. And then all the good things as well. And I think sometimes we feel like, you know, Lord, you know, the thing is good. We, we, we need to hang on to it. It's bad. I understand. I'll get rid of that. We kind of try to bargain with God in terms of what we're going to do. And I don't think that's, a, there's, you know, it's not right, and obviously it's wrong, and they're going to, we're going to pay a price, and, they're, and he's going to pay a price. And then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, now here, here, here's what we're going to do. I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me. Wow. He was the king that followed David. He was a warrior. He did some things that were very, very good. And then as God's telling Samuel, I regret that I made him a king. And I would hope that from an application standpoint that we today, when we find ourselves in positions that, that God can say, good and faithful servant. And sometimes I feel like we always, there are times when we're in the pits. I understand that. I've been there myself. And we need to get ourselves up and following him. And had, had Saul done that, said, look, I made a mistake. I want, to, I want to get this corrected. But it was kind of like, I want to cover. I want to do it my way. And I think as believers, there's too many people, Christians, in, 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 in the secular side and on the inside, everybody wants to do their thing. And so what happens is, let's go on. And they said, and God says, I regret that I have made king Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me, and he has not carried out my commandments. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. He, Samuel understood the gravity of the situation. He realized that God was fixing to do something that was not going to be pleasant. And he cried all night. And I think sometimes from an application standpoint, we realize even with our children, sometimes they do things that say, why did they do that? I've had my remember dad telling me, don't do this. Guess what? That's what I did. Did I pay for it? Yes. 
I pay for it. And there's a lot of different ways of paying for it. Back in my days, it was a whipping. And then usually there was kind of like a probation. And then there was about two or three nights where I had to go to bed early. Of course, in those days, you went to bed at 8 o'clock. You thought you were going to bed in the middle of the day. Uh, I, when, when, when God tells us to do something and gives us instructions and we don't do it, is it any wonder that we're going to pay consequences? Is it? Let's go on. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord. And Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, saying, Samuel came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and then turned and proceeded down to Gilgal. So, I'm so good, I'm the king, I've defeated this army, and by George, they're going to make a big, big monument. I don't know. It's a bunch of stones put together and say, here I am at that point. And by the way, um, I noticed a few of you fanning, go ahead and do that. Uh, Eric and I tried to find out where the switch was to the air conditioner. It's about 78 degrees in here, and the rest of the building is 70. I don't know what happened, but uh, uh, when, when I finish at 3 o'clock this afternoon, we'll find out how many people laughed. No. Maybe, maybe that's a good way to get rid of me at that point. Um, and I noticed the response that, uh, that uh, I'm, one of the things that, when, when we talk about the Amicalites, I, I didn't mention it before, but you know, whenever you see the word Amicalites in the, in the Bible, you can pretty well assure that they're against God. They were one of the evil tribes that, that came about. So it's not any surprise that, that is, that's where, 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 where they were always in trouble. So, um, and, and, and then, and then uh, let's see, where are we at here? And the Lord sent out the mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the, sinner, uh, the uh, sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they're exterminated. Um, and why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord? He did what he was supposed to do, sort of, but then he decides to keep the good stuff. And Samuel says, Saul says to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord, and I went on a mission which the Lord sent me and have bought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and otherwise we have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. And the people took some of the spoils, sheep and oxen, and the choices of things devoted to the destruction, destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Now, what it is is that they saved some back, and we have a tendency of justifying our actions by doing something good. Oh, I saved that back because I'm going to offer that to the Lord. Notice in verse 22, and Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And of course, our answer is, he wants you, to, he wants, you need to do what he says. For rebellion is, the, is an, a sin of divination, and insubordination is iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. And now notice what he says. He has rejected you from being king. Wow. He thought he was doing great. But he made a, magic, a very, very bad mistake. God says get rid of everything. What did he do? He got almost rid of everything. And as he said one time in one of these verses, I only kept the good stuff. And sometimes our good stuff is not what God wants. He wants us. Not some of our good stuff at that point. So I think we need to be very careful when uh, the instructions are given that we, you know, that we follow him. And of course, you know, Saul's excuses are uh, 
are, are great in the fact, oh yeah, I wouldn't did everything I was supposed to, but then when, when, when Samuel tells him, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Wow. Termination papers from God himself at that point. Um, now notice what happens now to, to Saul. And we do the same thing. When the pressure comes down and we know that we've done the wrong thing, then we finally say, you know, yeah, I screwed up. I shouldn't have done that. The problem with that is you've been told no, no, no. You go do it, and now you say you're going to pay a consequence. Oh, I forgot about that. Because notice what it says. Then Samuel said, I have sinned and I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the, I feared the people and listened to their voice. I didn't make a decision. There's still people that did that. I'm a king. I have a full authority, but I listen to the people. How many times do we do that ourselves? We know we need to go down this path, but everybody else is going down this path. I, I, I went there because they asked me to go over there. Maybe we need to stay the straight and narrow. In the long run, it's going to be more beneficial to you, I can assure you. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and turn with me that I may worship the Lord. Ooh, big change now. I'm in control. Then I find out the Lord's putting the pressure on me. Oh, well, uh, Samuel, tell you what. You and I, we can go down here and we can worship the Lord now at that point. The story gets worse. Then Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Woo, wow. Here's the prophet telling him, you know, you screwed up. But now I'll tell you what, because you screwed up, you're not going to be the king anymore. Now, some people would look at that as being insubordination, but I can assure you that when, when uh, Samuel was telling that, he had the full power to do that. And, 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 and you know that had to pierce King Saul's heart. Too late then. So Samuel turned, go. See, Sam, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom from Israel from your, you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Wow. You talk about a screw-up. That's, that's the kind of guy we call, you know, he literally couldn't get it together. And also the king of glory of Israel will not change. Um, excuse me just a minute. And also the, the glory of the Israel will not lie or, ch or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. In other words, don't try to start bargaining with God because it doesn't work. The decision's already been made. And then he said to him, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people, before Israel, and go back that I may worship the Lord. You know, it's kind of interesting, I think, a little bit. When we get, in, we get involved in these kind of things, we have great hindsight, but we do not have as much foresight as that we really need. And in verse uh, uh, 22, I want to go back a little bit that I, I kind of skipped over and I really shouldn't have done that. Samuel said, you know, to him, 
you know, you got to have some burnt offering and sacrifices. And he says, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying my voice? And of course, the answer is, obeying the voice is imperative. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is iniquity and, and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. He comes and he gives them the message, but he rejects it. And I'm talking about Samuel comes and tells him, here's the story. And Saul has, by his actions, re, re, uh, you know, did not respond. And of course, then once he gets in, now he's really pinned up. And so what is obviously the, the result? So here's what Samuel, 20, verse 24, Saul says, Samuel, I have sinned. I indeed transgressed in the command of the Lord because I fear the people and listen to their voice. Who did he blame? Blame the people. Who's in charge of the people? He is. I think that sometimes our, even today in our own society, uh, we have leaders who, when they're pinned down, they were elected, and when they're pinned down, well, I did what this group over here wanted me to do, or I did it what this group had to do, and had no personal, like I didn't have any personal responsibility in that decision. When decisions are made from a political standpoint, the person that makes that decision has got to be held accountable. And in this particular case, basically Samuel said, you screwed up, Saul. Oh, yeah, I guess I did. But it's too late. It's too late. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. All of these problems, all the things that he's been doing. Now, what's he finally said? I need to go back and I need to follow the Lord. I think sometimes we're a little bit that way. We follow the Lord in name only, and then all of a sudden some things go bad for us, and we say, you know, one of those is that I really haven't been putting the Lord first. And after, you know, either a catastrophe or hopefully not a catastrophe, but after some things go wrong, we sit back and look and say, why? And we find out that basically uh, the Lord, uh, we, we followed our own desires, not what God wants us to do. And I think we've got to be very, very careful in that area. Uh, Therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel and Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord. And then listen to this. The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Wow. And you look back on that and you say, well, why in the world did, um, why, why just, just say he made a mistake. You know, give him credit. Give him, you know, give him a, what's the word we use today? Uh, Give him a pass. Yeah, we, that's not that big of a deal. But the problem is, God says do this, and he did this. And that wasn't, that's not what he was supposed to do. We find the people that, you look at King David, he's made some mistakes in his life, but generally speaking, he tried to do what God wanted him to do and followed on the, on the, on the, on the, the, the narrow path. Um, there are a few things to, that we could that we, we could talk about when we start talking about um, the various um, obediences, because God wants worship, uh, wants obedience, not worship. Our 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 problem sometimes is that well, I'm worshiping God, but I don't trust you. I'm worshiping God, but I'm not doing it the way He wants me to do it. I'm doing it my way. Is that God just says, hey, you know, here's what you got to do do it at that particular point in time. 
Someone has said in sacrifices, a man offers only strange flesh of irrational animals, whereas in obedience, he offers his own will, which is rational and spiritual worship. So when God asks us to do something and we personally do it, that's a response, whether it's good or whether it's bad at that point. In verse 23, we pick up a little bit. I'm going to go back and pick up a couple of parts that I maybe moved over to 23. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. Wow. And you say, just because he did this? I mean, give him a, you know, how many times do we do that? Give you a second chance. Give you a third chance, whatever the case may be. In, in the Old Testament, they didn't get all those second and third chances. You know, if you didn't follow God, God took other measures. And that's exactly what, uh, what happened here. Um, someone has said that in sacrifices, a man offers only strange flesh of irrational animals, whereas in obedience, he offers his own will, which is rational and a form of worship. Boy, that is so true, too, at that particular point in time. Now, you say, well, what happened to Saul? Well, you read the rest of the deal. Basically, basically, Samuel leaves Saul because he realizes that he's going to go someplace else and uh, eventually uh, he's going to be uh, taken apart. And uh, verse 32, um, Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of Amalekites." And Agag came to him cheerfully, and Agag Certainly there's bitterness of death is gone. You know, he was captured, but he, got, he wasn't killed. So he comes and says, hey, man, he's Samuel, how you doing? Great. I'm glad you're going to save me. Notice what Samuel did. As your sword has made women childless, so shall mother, so your mother be childless among women. And Samuel bowed, hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord. Wow. You say, that's kind of gross. Well, it is, but the problem is this. He did what God had instructed Saul to do in the first place, to get rid of a king who dishonored God and take care of it. But what did he do? He saved the king and all the good stuff. Look back at my own life. I look at Probably you can look at it too. Are there things that we hang on to that is the good stuff? You're really not hurting us, Lord. And then yet, when the Lord says, get rid of it, we have a tendency of trying to justify hanging on to it at that point. And I think that's where, where, you know, he got himself in trouble. So, as Samuel said, as your sword has made women... I read that, I'm sorry. Then Samuel went to Ramoth, but Saul went up to the house of of Gilbed of, of, of Saul, and Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. For Samuel grieved over Saul... And the Lord regretted that he made king Saul king over Israel. What a legacy. God really regretted. And you say, well, God never regrets anything. Yes, he does regret. He loves, he cherishes, he puts his arm around, but he regrets that Saul screwed it up. You know, put it in our back in the vernacular today is the fact. And he had every chance, every chance, the prophets were there to help him, to motivate him, to move him, and yet he didn't want to do that. And in the long run, that cost him uh, dearly at that point. Are there some lessons that we can learn today? Well, first of all, 
partial obedience is not total obedience. And I think there's some things today that we as believers do that we partially obey what God wants us to do, but there's always some things we want to hold back. Lord, I know more about that than you do. No, he knows the end from the beginning. And sometimes we need to be sure that we follow along on that area. Um, his obedience only went as far as it pleased him. That's the problem that, that the king had. The rest of God's will was nothing to him. I wonder, are we like that? Many worldly men keep some command, keep the command, come commandments. He does not bow to idols, nor swear, or curse, or all the rest of the sin. Why? Because he prefers not to do that. However, these are moral obligations tend to health and happiness, but that does not mean he is obeying God nor that he loves and pleases God. And I think sometimes we have a laundry list of all the things that we're doing solely for the church or for ourselves or whatever the case may be, when in fact we're not really doing it to please the Lord. And I think that makes a big difference in all that we have. Um, I think this, kind of in summary, um, many of us are like Saul-like, though. We like to hack the bad stuff out. But when it comes to those stuff that we think that maybe God has an interest in, we, we say, okay, yeah, I'm going to follow, I'm going to do that. But then the other side of that is that there's things that the Lord's saying, get rid of out of your life, and we justify. Lord, it's not that bad. Well, I've had that tell me too many times. I would say, somebody, you need, we need to get rid of that. Well, it's really not that bad. When it tells you that it's not bad, it's probably bad a little at that point. So I think sometimes we, we, we need to realize that we just need to get rid, of, get rid of some things. We readily condemn and shun the grosser sins of the old life, but how sparingly on the, what I call the king egg eggs sins. A little bit, just a little bit. Concern for others, servant heart, pride, lust, Lack of love, stewardship, laziness. That's a good one. Hypocrisy, gossip, love one another, serve one another, kindness toward one another. All of those are things that we need to have in mind as we see and live for God. Um, so this morning, I, you know, in summary, you have a story of a king who thought he had it together and didn't. He did what he wanted to do and then justified his bad actions by trying to make it more from a spiritual standpoint. And guess what? Samuel saw right through it. Samuel was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And so what happens is that we have a tendency very, very much like the king. There are things in our life that we know we probably need to get rid of, but we still hang on to them because "Mm, that's just kind of part of me. Or we justify it on that basis. So I guess in summary, what I'd like to say is this, that when God calls us, we need to obey him. And it would be a blessing to you, to himself, yours and others. And and I think that's all the whole, that is the whole scenario, if you will. And that is that when God, through his word, speaks to us and the Holy Spirit, let's do it. Well, Lord, I just don't want to do that. That's not kind of me. How many times, I know I've said that, that, Lord, get somebody else to do that work. I don't want to do that. So if God calls you to do something and you know you need to get it done and somebody's not going to do it, that's, that's your calling. Do it. And he'll reward you for doing that. 
sometimes we have a tendency of tr not trying to, we try to justify our ends by the means. Means by the end, whichever way it goes. We end up having real problems with that. So I would leave you with today. This is a story that has always, as I, over the years that I've read, Samuel did everything he could to help King Saul. Laid it out for him. God gave him some second chances. And yet he is very much like a number of us today are, is that we're getting hard-headed, we're going to do it our way, and we forget that God's in there. So I would basically leave you with this idea. Is that, you know, there's the cases where there's some things, some decisions that you've got to make. You may just have to say, Lord, you know, make those for me to help me as I go from day to day on all these things. And with that said, let's uh, close in a word of prayer, and uh, we'll go from there.